Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. What a two weeks we have had. <laughs> yes. A whole lot has happened in the last two weeks, for sure. This, and it's all, as far as I could tell, for, for developers like us, it's all good news. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is great. So we're going to get to the uh, 15% uh, program in a little bit, but first... We have to talk about these amazing M1 Macs that I'm currently not using because it's upstairs and I'm on my old busted iMac Pro, which until this past week was an amazing computer. <laughs> and, and was, I think my iMac Pro was my favorite computer I've ever had until this one me too it's like my it's like this amazing computer i i i always said the same thing my it was my iMac pro is my favorite computer i ever had by far like the best thing in the lineup for my needs that, that, that has ever been in the lineup and and it's just this amazing thing and then i got my new macbook air with the m1 chip <laughs> and wow is is it amazing uh so so i have the air and you, do you have the pro or the mini or what I have the Pro. I got the, I got a 13 inch MacBook Pro. Um, I think and I think I imagine we all got the same configuration: the 16 gigabyte with one terabyte. Yep, that's um, <laughs> that's called the developer configuration. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah, that's because uh, you need all all those. You need the, ter- the terabyte to fit all the Xcode betas. Man, these these are fantastic machines. It, it is it is such a game changer that if there were to be an in-person WWDC 2021, which honestly I, I don't think there will be, but if there were to be an in-person WWDC this, this coming summer, I bet half the room would have a new MacBook Air. Yeah. Like, it, it, like normally you see all the 16 and 15 inch, you know, MacBook Pros. If you look around the room, it's all, it's all, you know, it's all that class machine. And I, I bet this year it would be all, you know, MacBook Airs and 13 inch MacBook Pros if they were to have one, which again, I don't think they will, but that's a topic for another day. Um, these, these machines are incredible. They are incredibly fast. Even like, and mine is literally fanless. So it is literally silent. Yours is, it has a fan, but it seems like the reviewers are basically like having to really jump through hoops to even have the fan turn on, let alone be audible. Yeah, I mean, it, it is entirely speculative as to whether the machine I have on my desk actually has a fan in it. <laughs> I have never heard it. I have never seen any evidence of a fan. There are a couple holes in the back, which I suspect are where the fan would move the air. But other than that, yeah, it has been completely silent. I mean, to be fair, like the for at least for me, the iMac Pro was pretty, you know pretty much silent as well before this. But I, the, the machine is just, you know completely silent, and yeah, it's. But I've been running it ever since I got it as like my full time machine. At first, I got it, and I was like, oh, this would be interesting. You know, maybe I can like experiment with this. I should get one right away so I can see how my apps work on Apple Silicon. And it was like half an hour later, my iMac Pro is just unplugged and sadly like put in the corner of my office. And I'm using this you know, 13 inch screen instead because it is night and day faster and better for just doing my actual core main work. It's remarkable. I love too how it runs cool. Like I hate hot, sweaty hands, and I always get sweaty hands whenever I'm on a previous laptop when I'm when I'm making it, you know, push itself a little bit. And it, it's it's just so uncomfortable to use a laptop like that, and to have these run so cool. I mean, I know this sounds like an Apple commercial, but honestly, you know, anybody in the audience, if you haven't had the chance to to see or try one of these yet, I swear it's it really is this good. <laughs> like it, this is not just like a, you know an ad for Apple. 
it really is that much of a difference. Well, and I think it is you, you, your, your track record over the last 10 years has made it very clear that if you don't like something, you are not shy about uh, communicating <laughs> your distaste or, or, or unease with something. So when you say something is very good and in, in many ways, like unequivocally so, it's like it is clearly that's the case. And it's just, yeah. And, and what's crazy, too, is how relatively inexpensive they are. Yeah, because ultimately these are all still like the low end of Apple's lineup. Like this, you know, the responsible thing to do if you're not somebody who buys like two computers a year is probably to wait until there is a 16 inch and then buy that. Sure. Uh, but if you are impatient and you want the new hotness, these new 13 inch class machines are amazing, even though they are the lower end of Apple's lineup. And, and so, you know, you have issues like you can't get more than 16 gigs of RAM. You can't get more than two terabytes. You can't get bigger than a 13-inch screen on the laptops. But if you can fit your needs within that, these are incredible. <laughs> and they really, they, they make a noticeable difference for developer workflows. Like, it, 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 you basically get at least the performance of the best 16-inch you can buy for most workflows, uh, if not better, but in, a, in something that has effectively infinite battery life and generates no noise and no heat. Yeah. I mean, if so, like in a practical example, I think the longest comp- comp- compiling project I have is Widget Smith. And it takes on my 10 core iMac Pro, it takes about 55 seconds to do a, like a, if I do a clean and then a full like build and archive. If I do the same thing on the 13 inch M1, macbook pro it takes 35 seconds (laughs) so it's and which is significant and obviously like those are not the operations where that difference is really measure is really going to impact your day on a you know and when i'm actually sitting and working what is different though is that when i hit build and run it is essentially instantaneous for it you know the newly built app to appear in the simulator which is something that was just remarkable and how like that was the thing I think my biggest surprise in doing this was it, it it got below this point where typically when I hit build and run there's a, like a part of my like brain that's suddenly like huh I wonder what's going on on Twitter hmm I wonder if I have any email huh I wonder what that shiny thing out the window is <laughs> like there, there's that natural you because ha- I know it's it's not a long time it's like I'm going to be sitting there for you know maybe it's five seconds you know the, oh wow five seconds of slack time and my brain can't handle it but there was always this period of time that I would be distractible, but it's essentially instantaneous now. And so I found myself actually being more like focused because I hit build and run and then it's there. And it's like, it's essentially as quickly as I can turn my head to look at the simulator from looking at Xcode. Um, you know, my app is up and running. And so while at a macro scale, going from 55 seconds to 35 seconds is like a significant improvement, I only, you know, build an archive, um, you know, maybe a couple times a week. But I hit build and run probably, you know, 500 times a day. And so that going from, you know, that being just that little bit faster has been like transformative. So like that's the part that I think as from a developer perspective. And obviously this is one of those things that we, you know, this machine certainly benefits from the fact that Xcode almost, you know, is like Apple knew that Xcode was going to need, you know, run on this. It was, you know, M1 compatible on day one. Like it's very much like geared and targeted towards this because Apple knows exactly what Xcode, you know, Apple Xcode needs. And you got to imagine when they're doing their initial benchmarking, when they're doing their like, well, you know, what operations should we, you know, streamline? What operations should we make go fast? Like 
they're going to run it, run Xcode stuff through that. They're going to run the Swift comp- compiler on that, and just like make sure that they're not doing something where you know actually they hit, they're always hitting you know the the least ideal path through the ship or something. Like they're always going to be hitting all the sweet paths because um, you know it's a well known operation, and it's like that certainly seems to be the case. It's it's that little bit faster, and it's just noticeable to a point that yeah, I feel bad for all my other Macs now. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is so transformative that it it makes all previous Macs instantly feel incredibly old and significantly less valuable to you than they were like a week ago. <laughs> like yeah. I haven't I haven't opened my 16 inch since I got the new one. I'm I'm I wasn't planning on like when I first ordered the you know the, the MacBook Air, you know, like you, I thought, well, this this will be easier than using the DTK through screen sharing to make sure that my app runs well in this new environment and everything. And and I I figured I'd use it as like a kind of secondary development machine, but I wasn't planning on like instantly replacing my 16 inch with it. But now that I got it, it's like it's oh yeah, I'm never going to use that again. I'm, I'm I might as well just sell it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and well, while well, it has some value still, right? And I and I can echo everything you just said. I mean, it down to like Overcast also takes about 55 seconds <laughs> to build clean on Intel iMac Pro, and also takes about you know 39 seconds to build on on the MacBook Air. <laughs> like, I have very similar experience, but but it you know what you said about avoiding the distracting or, or the distractible wait periods. That's a real thing. You know, when you're, every developer knows, like, when you're really in the flow, when you're really, like, you know, concentrating hard and doing a bunch of stuff, staying in that flow state and and anything you can do to keep yourself in that flow state longer or to make it harder for you to fall out of it is incredibly valuable because, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who have incredible work ethics, who can just stay diligently concentrated and can work for, you know, a certain performance level or a certain concentration level reliably. They can, like, turn it on like a switch. All right, 9 a.m., I'm working. Turn it on and work. And then, you know, at lunchtime, we'll pause it for a minute, eat lunch, then we'll come back, we'll turn that switch back on, and we'll just be working until exactly 4 p.m., and then we'll stop. I can't do that. I I don't know how many people can do that in reality, but I know I can't. I never have been able to work that way. My motivation and my productivity come in weird bursts that I, I can't control when they happen. I can't control how long they last. I can't make it happen if, if my brain's like not in that mode. And once I'm in a productive state, the only reason I haven't gotten fired from every job I ever had, because I, I don't work very well, is that once I am in that productive state, I might have not had that state for four days straight. But then like on Friday... I get in that state and I do a week's worth of work in a morning. And then I, then again, then it's another four days before I have that state again. (laughs) But my, I would average, you know, this is just how I've always worked. Like I do nothing for long periods. I get nothing of meaningful value accomplished. And then, and then all of a sudden I get a ton accomplished because I'm in that flow state. And when you are in that flow state, anything that anything can knock you out of it, you want to get rid of those possibilities. And Certainly waiting for a long process to happen can do that. Anytime you're either fighting your tools, like if you run into like a provisioning issue and you're like, oh God, there, there goes the rest of the day. I got to deal with this crap or, or something really boring you don't want to deal with like taxes or something, you know, that can kick you out. But, you know, what you said about, you know, going, going out to check Twitter or Slack or the web, like that's all real things that really can knock you out of that state. And 
anything that can avoid that has a lot of value to developers. And so if you as a developer are ever looking to rationalize a purchase of the new sure. the new hot gear that everyone's talking about that, that looks really cool and that you want, if it is meaningfully faster to do actual development on, that's that's all the rationalization you need. This is why like I always buy every new Apple Watch. I'm I've never been that heavy of an Apple Watch user, but the Apple Watch like the build and run and debug cycle on Apple Watch hardware has always been very slow compared to, you know, just running an app in in a simulator or on a phone or whatever. And but like every generation of Apple Watch has actually made that significantly faster. And every time they come out I'm like do I really want to spend another whatever 400 500 dollars like on something that I I'm mostly only using for development purposes most of the year and then then I get it and then I I do a build and run and I'm like oh yeah that was worth it because it it cuts that time down and to have something like the M1 Max cut that time down for nearly everything you do is a real game changer it, like <laughs> like the other day I I I was I, w- I wanted to check some value uh, that was being synced, and so I set a breakpoint, and I hit I hit run, and I was running it in the Mac mode because I figured that would build the fastest. And I literally like <laughs> running in the Mac mode. You you click the play button to run it, and it's just there, and you're like, it like it it literally just hit the breakpoint so fast. I was like, wait, did it even launch? Like it, it was it was that fast that I, I was concerned that something was so it couldn't have possibly launched and gotten to this part of the code that quickly and it had it's it just it's that fast yeah i think the only thing that i'm in any way a little sad about is the sort of display story around these right now at yeah. least from, from, for my particular situation because like i have a 13 inch macbook pro which is fine like it's not like it's a tiny screen but it's certainly not large enough that i want to use it myself and like right now i'm doing this thing where i take i have uh a 12.9 iPad Pro with a uh, Luna display um, sort of propped up actually on the box that the MacBook Pro came in um, <laughs> next to me when I'm working. And so I have like the, you know, so I have the 13-inch MacBook Pro and a 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro kind of, you know, essentially being my external uh, display. And for me, that seems to be working pretty well. Like it's just about enough screen real estate for me to kind of get done, get what I need done where I can put... Xcode full, essentially like full on the screen on the main screen and then I have my simulator or documentation or whatever else I need on the side display and it's just about enough but like I'm now starting to think like oh now do I need to go and get some kind of external display so that I can you know use this use this you know, relatively small machine um, but you know I'm used to having a giant iMac Pro, which was has this gorgeous display that's nice and big, and I really you know enjoy having one monitor rather than two. Like it's just a little bit cleaner for me. But I'm now that I'm like all in on this you know Apple Silicon lifestyle. Um, I'm starting to think, oh, do I need to get an, an external display or some other kind of situation other than this kind of hacked together um, iPad Pro situation? But it's like that's the only thing that is in any way problematic or something that I look forward to. And obviously, this is going to get better. Like at some point, there'll be an iMac. At some point, there'll be uh, a 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, with the same, you know, performance improvements, if not better. But for right now, that's the only part of this that I'm a little bit sad about. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Like I, and this is why I keep using my my 10-core iMac Pro for my main development, even now, even though my 13-inch MacBook Air is so much faster. But I love a desktop. I love this size screen. I love this particular screen, and 
I don't I don't want to get my stupid LG screen, bring it to the beach, and like I don't I don't want to go through all that. <laughs> I hate that screen, <laughs> and and uh, and so like, but but it's it is tempting. It's a tempting option to just like retire my iMac Pro now, get the LG screen here, and just plug it into the laptop and just live that lifestyle for a while. Um, but no question, like my long term goal here is. I want the next iMac. Like whatever the whatever the you know Apple Silicon powered iMac is, I'm buying that in all likelihood because I love the iMac as as a form factor, as a general like performance category. Um, I for my primary computer, I do want more than 16 gigs of RAM and more than two terabytes of storage. So I don't want to like get like a Mac Mini in the meantime and then use it for six months and then sell it. Like I, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather just wait for the iMac. But man, is it going to be a long wait? <laughs> Even yeah. though it's probably coming out like next summer or something, but <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, a, I think there's a good chance. Like, I mean, probably a spring would be like the optimistic, hopeful part. Would be something where, like in March there'd be an, another round of Apple Silicon Macs, and then maybe in June at WWDC, maybe they'll announce another set. Like that would seem a, like a wonderful opportunity for them to uh, unveil like a 16-inch MacBook Pro. I feel like would be a perfect like. WWDC event would be a great kind of whether that's you know streamed or in person, but like it's still you know it's capturing that that audience just perfectly. But it's like other than that, I think it's fine. Yeah, like WWDC would be the ideal place, like PR wise, to launch the 16 inch because that so many developers yeah. use that. But even more ideal than that would be to launch it in May, <laughs> and then and then everybody sure. can buy it for WWDC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I think the other thing, too, I think we should just briefly t- touch on is running our own apps on Apple Silicon. Because uh, you, you mentioned it briefly just there with running Overcast on the Mac. And I think it's something that I was surprised that Widgetsmith runs fine on an Apple Silicon Mac. And the widgets show up in the notification center and, like, it just works. And that's kind of amazing. And I think it's something that I could see. It seems like there's generally been a cautious approach to allowing your apps to show up um, in the Mac App Store. But I would say generally, unless it's an app that doesn't make sense to be there, like put it in there, like go for it. I like I, I didn't let like pedometer plus plus show up on the Apple Silicon <laughs> right. Mac because there's no step counting capabilities. But like any of my apps that can or should work, like sure, throw them in there. And like I think you should because it works well enough and. Um, it's just like you're opening up your, your, you're opening up a new audience or a new like way for your customers to interact with your app. And like, that's great. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of developers who took the approach of opting out by default and then saying, Oh, I'll investigate it later to see if I, you know, I I need to test it or whatever. And I think that's the wrong approach unless you know for sure that your app doesn't work. Um, you know, we, so, so often the, the perfect is the enemy of the good and, this has been the case for me, certainly. Like I, I have, I have still not launched a Catalyst app for Overcast, even though it's been it's been demanded, not not highly demanded, but it's been requested frequently by a small group of people for a long time to have some kind of Mac app because my website sucks. And yeah, and you know, and and I I haven't launched it yet because I'm like, well, I want to do a perfect three column layout. I want to take advantage of you know as many native Mac controls and ma- native Mac behaviors as possible, and that's a huge undertaking. And the reality is, I'm not there yet. I've, I've barely even started down that path. I keep doing other, like, you know, architectural stuff to, to build to that point later down the road. But with this, I decided, you know, let me just, let me leave it in. I, I'm not going to opt out. Let me, let me leave it in. And sure enough, like, it, Overcast works. And it's not fantastic. It's not highly polished. 
it it looks like my iPad app in a window. And it behaves like my iPad app in a window. And you know what? And, and I and I suggest anybody out there who is concerned that like, you know, you don't want to ship like a, a, a less than ideal experience to your users, try Overcast on a Mac, on an M1 Mac if you have one, and you'll see how incredibly imperfect it is. And yet, those people who want that, who have wanted that for a long time, are so happy with this. And so I, I think it's it's useful to kind of think about like, okay, in this case, everyone knows that running iPhone and iPad apps on a Mac is inherently a kind of imperfect compromised experience. It's a little bit weird. Things don't quite, you know, work or look the way you expect sometimes, but having it there for those customers who want it is way better than not having anything at all. And so I highly suggest, unless you have some significant like deal breaker reason why you can't have your your app on the mac like like it literally doesn't work like or or it's something that like depends so heavily on touch controls like like certain types of game control schemes like in that kind of case fine you know but if you have an app that will function even if it's not perfect even if it's a little awkward even if it's you know not the ideal case if it functions leave it there opt into that because your customers will thank you, and it won't be a massive amount of your customers. It'll barely register, but for those customers, it matters a lot to them, and it's like no sweat off your back. So just opt in, let people use your apps, and and if you want to make it better down the road, fine. You know, uh, analytics wise, I posted the other day that these the apps running on the M1 Max so far register themselves as twelve point nine inch iPad Pro third gen one terabyte models. I, I think it's like iPad you know eight comma nine or something like that. Um, like so you can see how many people that's a very rare iPad model so you can see how many people are using it and for me it's like a, it's like 500 people so far sure um, cuz you can tell cuz no one else uses that iPad so it, before before these I had like 40 of those iPads in my stats and now I have like 540 you know it's something like that so it's it, it's very clear um so but and you can see then like is it worth justifying you know putting more effort into this maybe maybe not if it isn't those are 500 very happy people at least and it's like no sweat off your back Yep, it's the cheapest way you ever got 500 people to really love your app. Exactly. (laughs) You didn't do anything. You just didn't, you literally, it wasn't even that you checked a checkbox. You just didn't uncheck a checkbox. Yes. (laughs) By by doing nothing, you made 500 people very happy. And how often do you get to do that? Exactly. We are brought to you this week by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing is, they'll most likely bounce if your website's loading too slowly. Pingdom offers real user monitoring, so you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experiences, and you can take action before your business is impacted if you're having some kind of slowdown or performance issue. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website, and then you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring from Pingdom lets you do all of this, and it's an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. 
You can get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code RADAR at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM, code RADAR at checkout for 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. So... Many developers out there, most developers out there, got a raise this past week that will go into effect in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So we're, we're talking about the uh, the small business program that Apple just announced, um, which is at, at, at its core is basically for the vast majority of developers on Apple platforms, specifically those who make less than a million dollars in revenue. They're, uh, Apple is cutting their commission from 30% to 15%. Um, which essentially, as best we can tell, seems like for like 98% of Apple developers just got, uh, I think works out to be a 23% raise um, because of the way that the math works that when going from getting 70% to getting 85% um, is actually more than a 15% increase in your revenue. And it's one of those things where like I feel like there's there are many cynical takes you can take to this, that this is a PR move that Apple is taking to try and stave off some antitrust action that they're worried that might happen to them. There's some weird mechanics about the way that this is actually implemented where because it isn't a marginal kind of increase, there's this weird thing if you happen to be making right around a million dollars that you could be worse off as a result of this program or whatever. But at its core, when I hear this, though, it's like it's, like, it's easy to have those cynical takes. But the reality is 98% of Apple developers just got a raise and – it's like you know, it takes a lot of cynicism to not be happy about that. To, to like, and the fact that it, maybe it's coming not necessarily just because Apple wants to, you know, be kind to those developers. They're doing it for another reason. They're trying to preserve that other, the, you know, the revenue they get from those other two percent of, of developers. But I'm just happy about this. Like, I think it's just overall, like the mechanics are a little weird, but the end result is that there's going to be a group of developers who are able to now just make it a bit it's more likely that they're going to be able to make it in the app store that i remember back to my early days where it's like my goal was to go full-time as an independent developer that was my goal that was what i was trying to do and i had like an, an amount of money i needed to make each day in the app store that once i hit that point i kind of said to myself like i've made it like i can now do this i can stop taking on consulting work i can put that all to the side and i can focus on my app store and that number you know was based on you know, a 30% cut from Apple. And now that number would have been smaller. That number would have been 20% smaller. And it's kind of cool to think that I probably would have been able to go fully independent months, if not years earlier, um, under this new program. And I'm just excited for the new sort of developers for whom that's the case, because it is, it's like, it's a, in some ways, you could say, like for you know, Apple, one of the richest companies in the world, like it's a relatively small thing that they're doing from their, you know, in the scope of their business. But in the scope of a small independent, you know, independent developer with like the people who listen under the radar, like this is a tr- potentially a transformative difference. That it's a, that difference between it being a side a side hustle and it being you, able to be your main thing, and or at least speeding up that that transition between them. And so, like. I'm just thrilled. I think it's great. I think like more like this. And if this is, it's like, if, if this is the result of all of the shenanigans and the, the shouting that Epic and Spotify and all those people are doing at Apple, like if in the end, like <laughs> Epic and Spotify don't come up much, much better off, but 
you know, thousands and thousands, if not millions and millions of small independent developers come out ahead, like, that's amazing. It's like, thank you, Epic. Thank you, Spotify. I'm sorry you didn't get what you want, but we seem to have gotten what we want. I mean, that's that's how I see it, too. Like, you're right. There are lots of cynical takes on this. Apple did probably do this for multiple reasons, and they weren't all out of the goodness of their heart. Like, they, I'm sure much of the pressure and much of the reason they did this was because of all this antitrust pressure. And it's definitely a PR move at a lot of levels because it's good PR to say, oh, look at what we're doing to help small businesses while it's, you know, very little skin off Apple's back because of the percentage of the money is, you know, like they, they make most of their money from the people who are not being affected by this rate cut. Um, so, you know, Apple's not losing much money to do this. So, yeah, there are a lot of cynical reasons. But in the fight between the giants, between Apple and people like Epic and Spotify and the governments around the world, these giants are fighting in a way that just benefited all of us quite a lot. (laughs) And so that's fantastic. And, you know, yes, there are cynical reasons why they did this. Yes, it is. It is partly self-serving why they did this. Fine. That's, you know, we we understand that. We can accept that because nothing got worse for anybody and things just got a lot better for a lot of people. So, you know, yes, it is PR. Yes, it is largely self-serving, but it also served us. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, and that's, I think that's the, that's the best take I think you can have on this. It's like, it's easy to get to, to, for, for want it to be controversial for when it like, you can focus on the part that isn't, it's, it's imperfect and it's clearly, you know, structured in such a way that it is, you know, it's sort of the, the biggest benefit PR wise for the relatively smallest amount of um, outlay by Apple. But like, whatever, I don't care. So many developers just got a big raise in a year that for many of us has been really complicated. Like, great, go for it. This is amazing. And it's like, I would just be happy for us as a community and look forward to the stories of the people who are able to make things or to make it as an independent developer as a result of this. Like, I look forward to those stories that I'm sure will happen and come to us next year. And they'll happen sooner and in more numbers now. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.